Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. No, this is not a best of episode. Uh, this is not a Bubba and Harry episode. This is a standard just we're back to normal, back to regularly scheduled programming episode of Behind the Braves. I'm Ricky Mass, Atlanta Braves Digital Media Content Manager, joined by Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. Uh, we're happy to be back with you today and happy to have a uh, one of our great former Braves joining us today, Mike Remlinger. And we'll get into talking about Mike and introing him here in a little bit. Uh, Greg, first of all, personally, selfishly, I just want to say it's nice to be back here. Uh, I was pretty busy the last couple of weeks. Ran off, got married, and then flew to an island 2,000 miles away for another week to have a honeymoon, and, and that was all great. But I, I got to tell you, I was itching to get back. I got back in the office the day before opening day, which was perfect. You just get back, done with wedding and honeymoon, and right back into baseball season. And thank you to coming for my wedding, too, as well. And for It was beautiful. I asked some folks who work here who were invited to who had World Series rings to wear them because I wanted to get a, I wore my World Series ring during the wedding and I wanted to get a picture of all of us holding our our 21 World Series rings up and uh, just got the wedding pictures back the other night, by the way, and got that picture. And it's it's even better than I imagined it in my mind. So thank you to you and Jennifer for coming. Um, we really Laura and I both very much appreciated it. And thanks for thanks for accommodating my picture too. very much. Mm. Well, you're welcome. That was a it was a beautiful ceremony. It was great seeing you and Laura and and uh, we, we couldn't have, couldn't have uh, thought about a better place to be on that uh, that night. And it was a beautiful surrounding. I mean, it was a, it was a little chilly, but, you know, it is it was March. But yeah, uh, yeah I thought we, we had a great time. It was great seeing your family got to meet your dad for the first time, which was phenomenal. And and seeing you dance with your mom to Simple Man was was pretty outstanding. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, I always wondered what do the like the bride and the groom, the father, daughter, the mother, son, what do they talk about up there when they're dancing? And <laughs> I'll say this. I can't say publicly. I know what all those now conversations were. And to, to like prevent the awkwardness of everybody looking at you dancing with either your mom or your significant other. The conversations were very humorous and not for public <laughs> consumption. But I will yeah. say kudos to my mom. She chose uh uh Simple Man by Skinner for us to dance to. And I nice I, she chose a perfect one. The message in that it was perfect. Yep. I think it's a perfect one. So so thank you. That and the last I will say this, we'll get right into our show. The last note on the the honeymoon. I thought this was kind of cool. Our first day we went to St. Lucia and my wife and I are on the beach, had our own little spot on the beach. You know, just enjoying, uh, you know, I had a daiquiri in my hand and some piton beers. That's the local beer there in St. Lucia. Just having a great day. And uh, a local gentleman comes up to us and he was trying to sell us uh, something. You know, that happens. Like you'll have locals that want to come up and sell you their their art or their, you know, tchotchkes, whatever they got. And they're all friendly mm -hmm. as can be. So it was great. And so he comes up and he's talking to us and he goes, where are you guys from? And I said, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And he goes, Atlanta. Home of the Braves. <laughs> yes, sir. That's right. So it was a good little reminder to me that we weren't wearing anything Braves related. No Braves gear, nothing. Wow. So it's it was kind of a cool thing that even somebody on an island 2,000 miles away, they hear Atlanta, Georgia, and the first thing they associate with that is the Atlanta Braves. So that that was pretty cool. I just wanted to throw that little tidbit out. That's, that's awesome. Well, listen, we got a big win yesterday on opening day up in D.C. 
Of course, a little bittersweet with Max having to leave the game. Hopefully, he's not out for a super extended period of time. Luckily, I think we've got some pretty good depth to to cover us in that that area for a while, if need be. Uh, but always exciting to just get the season started. It feels like, I think we didn't say this term when we were talking with Mike Remlinger today, but to me, the way you guys were talking about it as players and the way I feel about it as a fan is that it feels like a national holiday to me, opening day. It always does. It's just I love the feeling of it all day. And it's, of course, better when your team wins, which we did yesterday. Um, so the season is underway. Of course, we're starting on the road. And then next week we come back here to Truist Park. And we've got uh, it's going to be a really, really fun open home opening week here. And you were you got all kinds of stuff going on now the seasons here. What all what are you working on right now? Man, yeah, since we've gotten back from fantasy camp, we have hit the ground running and we've done all of our prep work for summer clinics, uh, for the Braves Country Battles, which are uh, our travel ball tournaments. We've been working on RBI, all that good stuff. So if you're uh, interested in, in coming to a camp with us this summer, we're going to be in 48 locations, 24 of them are softball, 24 baseball all around Atlanta. We'd love to see you guys out and be a part of that. Uh, we had a great um, experience last summer, so we expanded the the actual locations that we're going this year. So, yeah, go to Braves.com slash grow in the game. You can see all the things that we've got going on this uh, this year. But, yeah, so the the tournaments are in full swing around the southeast in baseball and softball. And then our camps won't start till the end of May. So please check that out. And then we're also uh, excited about our first Alumni Sunday, which is going to happen uh, uh, opening weekend, which, yeah, doesn't always uh, come this quickly. Seems like that we um, – we haven't had them real, real soon in April uh, the last few years, but uh, this year we have it right off the get-go. We'll have Nick Green and Mark Wollers here uh, in the battery, so come to the Georgia Power Pavilion, get an autograph. We provide baseball cards for you. Uh, Hyundai has been our sponsor for years. They've done a great job. We really appreciate them. And, uh, yeah, come out and meet Mark and Nick, and then uh, we'll be ready to play against San Diego and kick some tail there. That's right. I was just talking to somebody here in the office yesterday. Oh, you know what? I think it was uh, so Becca Fallon, who's on my team here, the social media team. She was talking about how her dad would uh, one of his favorite things. He used to come years ago. He would come to uh, Alumni Sunday. Uh, certain guys he'd see that they were coming and he had to show up that day because he wanted to get an autograph. He was talking about how actually Skip Carey he got Skip Carey's autograph one Sunday was Skip nice. and like a former player were the two that Sunday. And then I was telling her how similarly years ago I had come down and I got Pete Van Weeren and uh, I believe it was a, who was the former player that was with him? Oh gosh, I can picture him and everything. And I've got the hat that he signed uh, and I don't have it in my office here, but point being as a fan, I always loved that. That was always a treat uh, when I would get to come to a weekend of Braves games, I always had to be there early on Sunday just to, and I, every, every Sunday I would, every time I would come down, I'd buy a Braves hat. And whoever was signing that Sunday, I had them sign a hat. And then I, I kept, I've still got those hats. So it's always a cool treat. And gosh, you got Nick Green, who you see, we all get to see every day now, pretty much on Bally. Mm -hmm. And you've got 95 World Series final out, the champ, uh, Mark Wohler. That's right. That's a heck of a way to, to start things off. That's great. And while we're talking about great Braves relievers, our guest today is, is certainly one of ours. I think you've said he, especially the numbers of the years that he spent here, he's one of maybe one of the best we've ever had. Mike Remlinger, 
if if you haven't, just do yourself a favor and go over. Like if you're listening to this, check out Mike's uh, baseball reference page and just look at the the four year run that he had here with us from '99 through 2002. In while he was in his mid and then ending in late 30s, it's it's one heck of a run he had. Uh, I remember watching him as a fan, and the numbers back this up. It seemed like Mike was out there every night almost and always getting the job done too. And then mm-hmm. you look at his numbers, and it's like, darn, he was out there almost every other night. Pretty <laughs> That's much. right. That's um, right. So, and and I can tell, I've only met him. I only just saw him for like maybe chit-chatted briefly at fantasy camp or just kind of saw him from afar and then getting to actually talk to him today. Boy, I could just tell he's just a genuinely really down-to-earth, nice dude. He definitely comes across that way to me. Yeah, so Mike was in average over 70 games a year, so you have to figure he was probably warming up in another 20 to 30 games that he didn't get in. So he was in the mix all the time. And then, you know, in 99, we were, we were in the World Series again. So these were really good teams that he was on. So that means that every game, of course, you know, we we set, I think we won over 100 games in uh, one of those years, a couple of those years. But so that means that he was in the mix because he only came in when we were tied or ahead. So he was probably up, you know, he was either thinking he was going to pitch and then the Braves ended up winning, a, you know, getting a bunch of runs late where he didn't have to. But uh, that that just tells you how good he was and and to put together those many games, you know, consistently for four years. And then he ended up finishing his, his career with us. But uh, just a great reliever. I remember I got to play with him uh, in 2000. We were on the team and actually the the um, fireman's award that you see behind me with, you know, our audience doesn't see it, but you see it, Ricky, uh, he was in that bullpen as well. So uh, it was a pretty good bullpen. Yeah. Greg does have this. Uh, he's got some, obviously some very cool things in his office from his career and his playing days. And that honestly, if you go into Greg McMichael's office, that's probably the, f- I think the first time I was in your office, I'm pretty sure that was the first thing that caught my eye. Well, that, and then you've got your, your world series trophy, Front center, but I think that 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 uh, the fireman relief award. It's like a for those who haven't seen it. It's kind of like if you've seen the Lombardi Trophy that the super the winners of the Super Bowl get. It's kind of it's silver and kind of similarly shaped, except instead of a football, it's got a big fireman's hat on top of it, and uh, it's a very cool looking award. Mm-hmm. So, it's really treat to to have him on today to talk about his career and some cool things that he, he got to do after his career. Um, so you know what? Why don't I stop rambling about it and we'll just get right into it. Here he is. Mike Remlinger. Well, hey, Mike. Mike, um, I appreciate you joining us on Behind the Braves. Uh, this is uh, a, a good day because we got um, the season underway. And I know you probably feel like I do. It brings back a lot of memories and and just a, a great time of the year when you get to leave Florida. I, I, I remember back, somebody was asking me the other day about what it was like to leave Florida. I go, well, for relievers, man, it was a wonderful day because we were ready after about two weeks, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that. Those last couple well, of weeks of spring get long. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. And I know I was looking back over your career and just had a, a phenomenal career, you know, played 14 years and the five years with Atlanta were nothing but exceptional. And and I told Ricky this before we started, I said, well, you know, Mike might be one of the best relievers we ever had. Definitely number one lefty, but um, there's a case to be made that uh, you're right up there at the top because the the stuff you did here in Atlanta, man, you just, you got shut people down. It, you know, it was you as well as there were several players in the 
you know, in the bullpen there. You guys had a great run. And I know you've got some great memories, but I wanted to start with just, um, you know, any opening day, famous opening days for you um, in Atlanta or anywhere else? Well, I think Atlanta, there was a handful of things. One, it was always nice because <clears throat> however cold it was, you were never going to be like Boston cold or Chicago cold. You know, It wasn't most likely not going to be snow and you know, it was gonna. It wasn't gonna be Florida, but it was definitely gonna be pretty good weather. And then for me, a lot of what I remember about Atlanta was the besides the ceremonies we were usually having for what we had done the previous season was also the uh, the military attributes and the, having the eagle on the field. That was always a really big deal to me. Um, I, I felt like a lot of the pregame things that we did were always really community focused and, and pretty special as far as meaning. Um, and a lot of other places, opening day is always a great day. Just that new hope for everybody no matter who you are what team you are and everyone thinks they're going to be Cy Young or batting <laughs> champ that year and everyone's going to win their division so hopes are strong and you know even cold weather doesn't dampen that too much early well that's a great point I know that opening day was also special like you said because we were celebrating what we just accomplished the year before and we were getting our rings and and uh whether it's an NLCS or or a World Series ring that was that was pretty special, mm-hmm. you know. Atlanta always did it upright, and that's something that hasn't changed. Hopefully, you can come down one of these years and and check us out on opening day. But with this new ballpark, uh, we're still continuing to do it right and still uh, continue to celebrate and and have a great time. So we're looking forward to next Thursday when we celebrate opening day here in Atlanta. So it should be a good time. So uh, I, you got a chance to uh, meet Ricky yet. So I want to introduce you to him. And um, he's my counterpart and and uh, big Braves fan and has been uh, watching this team for a long time. I'm sure he remembers you well. I do indeed. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mike. I saw you in action a little bit uh, when I came down and I always come down and bug Greg at fantasy camp for, for a couple days every year. And uh, I enjoy getting to see you guys and, and everything that you do. And I definitely, definitely remember watching. I mean, I've talked many times with Greg about watching him. I remember watching him as a rookie and I remember watching you too. The first place I wanted to start just for me in just looking back at your numbers, looking at in particular, for a five-year stretch where you were in your 30s and pitched over 70 games five years in a row, that to me is incredible. Just the durability, I, especially nowadays, we just you just don't see guys do that. I feel like what what do you what did you attribute your your durability to in your career? I mean, those are just eye-popping numbers. Mm-hmm. Well, part of it for me when I first got to Atlanta was when I first really became a full-time reliever. So whether being a starter is easier on your arm or not, I'm sure a lot of guys would argue, but you you definitely have a routine that is a reliever is totally different. And I feel you're able to better maintain your arm as a starter. And and so I, in the one hand, I had learned a lot about what needed to be done in the offseason to try to have that longevity throughout a, a six-month season, whether that be as a starter or just anybody, knowing how hard the season gets come August. <laughs> And um, the other thing I think I was super fortunate about was I loved to throw. Like even on days off, I was always a guy, unless I was just totally dying, I wanted to play catch. I needed that feel. And it, sometimes it might only be five or six throws, but I needed to get a ball in my hand and let it go. And and I also, I, I loved the opportunity to be able to help my team every night. And I, I took pride in being able to answer that bell. And Greg knows that. As relievers, I think all of us did. And that was one of the things, again, that made it, easy and also made it special in Atlanta as we had such a great group down there that everybody was doing the same thing and we were all just trying to keep it going. 
Well, and you you touched on it, switching from starting to to relieving, and I'm sure you get the question a lot, but I would just love to hear, like, was that process – I can look at the numbers, your numbers from your career, and it feels like, man, when you went when you went to being – when you went to the pen, it seemed like a lot of things really started to click for you. But what was that process like? Was it was it difficult, or did it kind of click pretty easily for you? I mean, just how did that process uh, progress for you? It really all fell into place, just like a lot of things for me later in my career – I'd been in Cincinnati and at that point still wanted to be a starter, but I just, I couldn't be consistent ever since I had gotten hurt early in my career, being a starter became different. And um, then my second year in Cincinnati, they had no lefty in the pen a lot of the time. And I had been up and down so many times. I was like, Hey, I'll pitch out of the bullpen instead of throwing my uh, bullpen sessions in between starts. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, really? And I'll do anything I can to stick around. Cause I knew my starts at times weren't, going to keep me there. And I just, I, for one, I had a great group of relievers there between Jeff Brantley and Stan Belinda and Jeff Shaw and uh, guys that really taught me how to be a good reliever. And I just, it came easy to me. Like the idea of like that phone would ring and I'd be totally fine. As soon as they're like, Hey, it's you, that adrenaline just starts pumping. The jacket would come off and all you want to do is be ready to answer the bell. And I think Atlanta identified that a lot quicker than I did because as soon as they traded me, they had told me, look, you're going to be a full-time reliever with us, and that's what we want you to do. And and that really made my whole situation even better for me because that's what I wanted to do at that point. I knew that's what I was better at. Yeah, there's something about in the bullpen, there's a little less thinking that goes on. Like you said, a lot of times you you do all your preparation before the game, and then when that bell rings, you you know you get up and you do it. And then you know you get a chance to do it again every night i know that that used to drive me crazy in the minor leagues when i was starting and the game planning and the waiting four days and five days and it seemed like just with my personality when i started being a full-time reliever man it just seemed to click for me having the ability to get up get ready quickly go out there and execute a shorter game plan than trying to think about strategizing over the course of you know seven eight nine innings but uh yeah so i i can definitely relate to that and i'm i'm interested to know for you mike when um when you made that transition and you came to a new town you made a lot and you were a part of the bullpen in atlanta with these guys who um oh flaherty was there when you got there is that correct or did he come later no it was, I think in 99, so it was – I'm not sure who was there that from guys. that We had kind of revamped the pen a little bit because I know we yeah. caused a few waves because a few guys had gotten sent out that had thought they were going to be stalwarts, I guess. And Yeah, I know you and I were there together in 2000. Rocker was kind of taken over as a closer, and then Kerry Leitenberg came in after that. We so had there was a Springer as well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you know as well as I do, when you've got a lot of uh, quality guys around you, you know, there's something about that, you know, the bullpen that kind of starts feeding off each other. But it wasn't just, I mean, you 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 were exceptional, but there were other guys down there that were kind of there again, like feeding off each other and, and really pitching well to where I think the bullpen was, I mean, that period of time, the bullpen, there was no, it was not a weak link at all. No, and you again, having spent as much time as you did down there, you know two things. One, that pretty much everybody starts out as a starter. <laughs> 
You know, in today's <laughs> game, there's, that's a big difference where you're, you can be a reliever coming all the way back to going through college and stuff. But for us, I mean, we were all starters at some point and weren't good enough as starters was the bottom line. And you can, however you want to phrase that, it, we're used to hearing stuff we don't always like, but it's just the truth sometimes. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, I, I would be hard pressed to find any reliever who's had a good year and not hear him say that without his bullpen mates, he would have had the same success because you just can't, there's too many situations today. I think it's documented a lot better with all the stats that we have, but there's just too many times where you leave a guy on or, or something happens where you leave something hanging and without somebody else getting you out of that jam, you don't put up an amazing numbers for the year, especially mm-hmm. in a bullpen. And so to me, it was a tribute to what Leitenberg did and what Rudy was doing. Springer, I, th- I think everybody that came into that group did well because we all bought into, hey, we're all pulling in the same direction. And we want to win. Mm. Yeah, one of the things that struck me yesterday watching the game was, um, as I was watching Ronald, seemed pretty anxious about trying to steal the bases, that he knew that the pitcher could only throw over. So uh, Corbin threw over twice, and then you know that he wasn't going to throw over a third time. So Ronald was like almost falling down trying to run. (laughs) How do you think that's going to impact this whole, you know, the game within the game, holding runners and – and the and the guys who can steal bases, of course, the bases are bigger. They they there's no guesswork involved. You can't hold the ball. Remember they used to tell us how we hold the ball and it would mess up the runner, but mm-hmm. now you can't even hold it for very long. So how do you think that's going to impact this this that that part of the game? Well, it, it's interesting. I, I think on the one hand, like kind of where I had evolved to by the end of my career, where I just had gotten rid of having a decent move because if I could be a certain speed to the plate. I knew if my catcher did his job, we had a chance. And that was the best you could hope for. And yeah, holding the ball was a big part of that. And I, when you were saying that, it was setting some alarms off for me, more so with guys at second. Because guy at first, you can quick pitch and a hold can be a, a second and a half and probably not be a problem. But I had problems with guys at second early in my career. And, and what it took to learn that was holding balls on guys out there and making them stand still. And that is something, if you're a good base dealer at second – and you know you've only got to keep your feet moving for eight or ten seconds. That's not a big challenge, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it make you stand out there for a while. It's going to be a lot better jumps. It's going to be more guys stealing bases, I think. Yeah, I think I, I think if I remember the stat correctly, at least from what MLB says, that the those rules increased stolen bases in the minors last year by I think twenty six percent, which is which is a wow. huge jump. So, and I think that's. Just one game yesterday, but I think we definitely saw that there's there's going to be a huge, huge jump in that for sure. It's going to be interesting to see how it all goes. So uh, Ronald may go 40-40 then this year, he, right? he very well might you know it's 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 going to be interesting um, yeah it will definitely be interesting and you know early too like the, everybody's got those fresh legs and they're ready to try to steal bases let's see where we're at after 100 games <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things slow right. down it's not always about the jump <laughs> that's yeah that's right one thing i wanted to ask you i mean i can as a fan i can remember watching you pitch i can look at your stats now and i can have thoughts or memories in my mind of what maybe would have been the biggest highlight for you and being an all-star and all that but in your mind like if if, if i asked you what is the the biggest highlight for you personally in your career like if you think back on the, your favorite moments or times in the game what are what is the first thing or some of the first things that, that come to mind for you? Um, a lot of it for me has to be with Atlanta because it was all about winning. And so that first year in 99 going to the playoffs for me, establishing myself and having the success that I had early 
gaining Bobby's confidence and and seeing how well he knew how to use me and what situations he put me into and who he pitched me behind and how all those things just kept working in my favor to getting to be a guy that was counted on later in the game by the end of the year going into the playoffs. And I remember that Houston series and even the Mets series, but the Houston series to me was like, oh my God, you know, it was every inning for three hours, four hours each day, just we couldn't even talk and we had to come back to the field eight hours later and do it again. And uh, just incredible. Though that whole postseason that year was really special, except for the Yankees part. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> well, I know, uh, Mike, that when you go out there every night, that there's a major toll that it takes um, on a pitcher. You know, when you think about going 70 innings, 70 uh, appearances, and back in the day, you were probably going more than one inning. Uh, I was telling Ricky that, you know, this was back when it wasn't just three three outs and you're, you're gone. I mean, sometimes we went from one inning to three inning, depending on whether Bobby needed us to do that or not. And I know that it's important to keep, you know, keep your body um you know, in tune and you're throwing a lot, you got a good touch on the ball, but I remember specifically talking with some of our young relievers who had a hard time saying no or had a hard time being honest. Do you ever remember a time during that stretch of the four or five years where you were going 70 appearances where they wanted to use you four, five, six, seven, eight nights in a row? Did you feel like were you one of those guys that like, hey, you just knew you needed a break or did you just kind of let it let it go? It would vary. I mean, as you know, again, like there's times when you're just sore and, and you just got to get through it. And there's other times where you're like, man, I don't know if this is sore, if this is something more to that. Um, it was really the other way around. It was it was Bobby trying to be like, all right, I'm don't even put your shoes on tonight. I don't want to I don't want you to pitch. And um, but yeah, again, you you get into that groove where the more you pitch, the more the feel comes and the stuff may diminish a little bit, but that means more movement, less velocity. And, and again, better feel being there every night. Um, and it's also your ego. Like you're out there, man, I'm, I'm in the middle of it every night. It's where you want to be. And so it's definitely, it's a fine line. Um, especially I, I felt early in the season was difficult because you want to get out the gate strong and have a, a great year and get off the team off to a good start. And so it's easy to kind of push yourself. And, and I felt like I did that sometimes a little bit to my detriment, not realizing how far we would go into October. Right. Did you feel like that most that most of that was put on our shoulders as far as how you felt? You know, I always, when I see a guy like Max yesterday, he, he, throws a couple pitches, he kind of feels something, but he doesn't have the option of staying out there. He, I mean, he basically told him, I can't pitch again, you know, I can't pitch. But I felt like that that more felt on our shoulders back in the day where we had to really pull ourselves out and that the the coaching staff, the trainers left it up to us to determine whether we were going to do it. And, of course, you know, you have your ego. I feel like that some of that's taken away now. Do you Do you sense that? Absolutely. I, I think it was definitely more on the play, especially in Atlanta, because guys were older. Um, and so there was that respect for, you know, you know yourself better than we do. We need to you, you need to be honest with us. And there was also that understanding that you could be honest and it wasn't going to hurt your appearances a week later. Like there was other places where if you say you're a little sore and I need a day off, you might not pitch for a week. And that <laughs> didn't happen in Atlanta. It was all about getting on the field and winning. But uh, I do feel in today it's been taken away and a little bit more on the soft hands approach. And that, again, again, it's a fine line because the reason it's being done is data says that it's going to help guys stay healthy longer. Um, 
But I would, again, for me, I, I would always argue that because I was a guy that wanted to throw every day. Mike, I did want to ask a little bit about your your post playing career. Um, I was reading reading up on you a little bit, and uh, I saw that you spent some looks like some significant time on USO tours and going around to or military bases and speaking with troops. And I just I'm so fascinated by entertainers or folks like yourself who done that for our service members. Just just wanted to just see if you could just share a little bit of your memories of uh, of getting of just that experience and what that was like. Oh, heck, yeah. I'll talk a year off about those. Uh, <laughs> I got really lucky. So I, I had fallen into an appearance. It was a guy who used to be one of the clubhouse guys out of Colorado Springs, used to do some stuff. And I knew he was doing it. And I had told him, you know, probably post-career. And one winter, he got hung up. He was doing something in Alaska, and I don't know if someone bailed on him, but he called me like, can you go to Alaska with Lee Smith and Fergie Jenkins the week before Christmas? And I'm like, heck, yeah, I can go. (laughs) Those two, are you kidding me? And uh, so I did that. That was, I think that was 02 or 03 when I was with the Cubs. And I told him, I said, if I can go to Iraq or Afghanistan with you, I would love to go when I'm done playing. And the first year I was done playing, he was one of the first guys I called. I'm like, hey, I'm available. And next thing you know, he's like, well, you can go to Iraq here. And I'm like, all right, let's go. And I went over there for 10 or 12 days. When I did that one, I was with Turk Wendell and Adam Bonero and just had an amazing time. My dad was an Air Force guy for 20 years, and I always felt connected to the military and have always appreciated what they've done for us and continue to do for us. And uh, going over there was like, for me, it was just an extension of being able to serve people. And we'd be based somewhere and fly Blackhawks twice a day out to different bases and sit around and tell stories with these guys. And some places we'd eat real meals and some places we'd eat MREs with them. And, you know, some places was photo shoot, hangout, not too bad. And other places like put your jacket on, get your helmet on, no pictures till we get off the ground and blah, blah, blah. And so, okay, that got real quick. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but it was a lot of fun. And then the next year I had the opportunity to go to Afghanistan and do something real similar over there. I did that with Tim Salmon and Jeff Nelson and Dean Palmer. And, uh, but I came out of that looking not so great because when I got over there, I told those guys, we'll be able to go shoot stuff. We'll fly helicopters. It's going to be amazing. We didn't fire one weapon. We didn't fly one helicopter. <laughs> they were a little disappointed in my pregame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's too that, good. That's pretty incredible. I knowing me, I would probably I I would want to do something like that so bad, and I would go through with it. But I know I'd be a nervous wreck going in there, especially at the times that you went in those places. Was it? I mean, it sounds like you were amped up and just excited from the get go. Was there? Was it ever a little nerve wracking? Particularly, there was a few times like because I I had some people tell me like, hey, you know, when you fly in, how was it flying into, I don't know if it was Qatar or where we, if it was when we flew into Baghdad, I can't remember, but in the C-130, I think we were in, you couldn't tell everything's black. There's no window. So you couldn't tell up and down necessarily. And they're like, hey, when you fly it out, pay attention, like try to peek out a window because you're coming down, you either go straight down, they call it like a suicide dive or something like that. So, cause that's the time you'll get shot at or else they do this huge spiral. And the one time I looked out, we were doing the spiral and I felt like I was sitting like we are right now. And I was literally sideways, but we were just like circling down because it made it hard to get shot at. And so there was a few times where things like that happen and it gets a little real pretty quick. Um, we were in a helicopter my first year in Iraq and Baghdad flying out somewhere over the desert. And all of a sudden you could just tell just like with us, like all of a sudden things it's game time, right? We're not playing like, shut up. Here we go. And it just got real, real, real quick in the cockpit section. And we've all got headphones on. And I look at my, our staff sergeant who I called our tour guide and I'm like, Hey, Sarge, what's up? He goes, 
told you until you see me get worried, you got nothing to worry about. And so he played it off and we hit the ground and a couple Humvees went flying out the gate and into the desert and found out later that they had seen some stuff that wasn't supposed to be there. And they got us on the ground real fast. And it, like I said, you, you know, when the game changes, but we weren't in danger at all. And I knew that, I mean, there'd been people with a lot bigger name than me going over there. And I'm like, if those people are safe, then I know I'm safe. Cause they sure don't want the publicity of someone like that getting hurt. There's always a chance, but I, I had faith. That's amazing. That's crazy. Well, uh, Mike, as we finish up, tell us a little bit about what you're doing these days. I think the last I talked to you, you were uh, you were renovating your your uh, family home. So, are you still working on that? And and uh, how's it going? I am still working on that. I, I've almost made it to the downstairs portion. <laughs> nice. And, uh, I was painting a bunch of the last couple of days. I had in my back decided that that was enough of that. So I took a few days off and started cleaning up my fishing gear. <laughs> <laughs> the body determines how often I work. And so, as I was saying earlier, I got guys working on some trees in the yard today and I'm not doing a whole lot besides just enjoying my Friday, but plenty of work to be done, doing painting, flooring, all the hard stuff I like to think is done, but I got some windows that I need to replace here pretty quick and keeping me busy though. I, I got to get it this, done before May when the fishing gets really good. There you go. So this is uh, Middleton, right? Is it you call it Middletown or Middleton? Or well, that's in, that was in New York, actually, where I was born. I'm in Plymouth, Mass. So it's technically oh. Manhattan. But I say Plymouth because then I can say the Pilgrims and the Rock and the Mayflower. And then people will remember. There we go. Now, are you a, a freshwater or saltwater fisherman? I am now a saltwater guy. I was always a freshwater guy. I was, as you know, I, I had my bass gear everywhere I went. And then when I moved to Colorado, I became a big fly fishing. Well, Bobby Dews actually got me into fly fishing initially. And then that translated to living in Colorado and being a fly fishing nut. And then moving back here and becoming addicted to catching stripers and bluefish. So kind of come full <laughs> circle, I guess. Yeah, well, those blues aren't no joke. Those no. things. And uh, see, I uh, like to eat them. Too. A, lot of people, a lot of people think they taste a little too oily or too fishy, but I love them. And so. Really? Okay. Yeah. I just stuff. know we've we caught them in New York because we were they were wanting to keep them and use them to catch a big shark. So mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know that you would eat those as well. Well, because they'll bleed. The blues bleed really. They're like you got to be careful because you got to cut them to bleed them. But you don't want to do that if you're standing in the water fishing either. Uh, <laughs> Evidently around true. here, there's now great whites where I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't want to be uh, no shark bait. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, this has been a lot of fun catching up. We appreciate you being on and uh, best of luck. And, and thanks again for coming to Fantasy Camp. You were a big hit and we definitely want you to come back and join us again next year. Yeah, that's always a lot of fun. I love getting to meet those guys. And, you know, it's it's hard to describe to people that have never seen it. It's it's an amazing experience and it's, it's something people will remember for the rest of their lives. It really is. Mm. So, well, I look forward to coming to Atlanta, too. Hopefully we'll get down there for an alumni weekend this year. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. We'd love to have you. All right. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, Mike. All Enjoy right. your day. Take it easy, Mike. See you, buddy. Right. Bye. Bye-bye.